So it's the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're just beginning the whole enterprise of Jesus, the project that he is about. Recall that it was just a few short weeks ago that his first words in public, at least his public ministry, were to repent and that he has come to save us from our sins. He has not come to save us from the institutions of our world that are broken. He's not come to save us from our economic downfalls. He's come to save us from sin. Very important that you and I grasp clearly what his intention is. Because sometimes I think in Christianity we become confused. And if we don't know what God's intention is, then we can easily go off on some road that isn't the road that we should be on. He has come to save us from our sins. And by that, it means he's come to restore a relationship that was broken. Not to just give us a moral code, although that will happen. That's a product of his teachings and his understanding of our world. Again, he's not come to save us from the Roman Empire or from the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's come to save us from sin. And that is a very personal thing, sin, and it's a very universal thing. Obviously, the universal component we all experience called original sin, which baptism has delivered us from, but we still feel the effects. And then there's our personal sin. When you and I are looking face-to-face at temptation, whether anyone knows it or not, and we're called upon to either act on that temptation, fall prey to it, or fight it with everything we have, This is what Jesus has come to do, save us from our sins. Last week, you recall, he began where the collapse began. The collapse of the 12 tribes had just come and settled into the Holy Land. The two of the northern part, Zebulon and Aptali, were the first ones to be destroyed by the Assyrians. In all of this, the physical is meant to help us understand the spiritual. Our threat is not the Assyrians. And actually, for the chosen people, the threat was not the Assyrians. The threat was sin and their own perspective. Because once they settled in the Holy Land, they let down their guard and said, we have finally arrived, we can, we can relax now. And they failed to see that the whole project is that they be in a relationship with God. Whether it's in this land or that land, Whether it's in a desert or whether it's crossing a a river, doesn't matter. The goal is to be with God. That is the goal. That's our project. And so he began last week in the land of Galilee, Zebulon and Naphtali, the two tribes where they began. And he began the spiritual uh, reconfiguration, what we call the church, restoring the 12 tribes, which we call the apostles. Now, again, it's not a physical But it's a spiritual. It's not hereditary. We don't inherit our place. We accept the invitation, as he showed us last week, with Andrew and Peter, come and follow me. They could have said no. James and John, follow me. They could have said no. That's the good news, friends. Free will. You and I have a choice. God is not forcing us. God is not pressuring us. We do that to each other. That's part of the fallen nature. But God does not. He extends the invitation. And as we contemplated last week, 
all of us have experienced in our own families or our own friends people who have fallen away from the faith, and it hurts. It's devastating. But it doesn't stop us from doing what we're called to do, our project. And so when we think of a project, you know, when you're trying to accomplish something, what do you do? You, you get the best tools that you can find to help you bring about that project. Today, we're celebrating Catholic Schools Week. And history has shown us that up until this point, the best tool that we can find to help us pass on the faith, and that's it, it's to help. Help us pass on the faith is an institution where we can spend a whole day incorporating Christ into our life. Is it perfect? It's a tool. And our forefathers, Father Kilgore, and all of those that he had surrounded himself with in the beginning of this parish said, with a view to the future, not a view to the moment or the five-year plan, but a view to the future, we need to do something to help our Christian parents pass on the faith. Because as Father Kilgore realized, there's all kinds of voices out in the world that are going to try to take our children away from the Lord. And it is the parents' job to raise them in the faith, to do what Jesus did last week. Let's follow him. Not me, not you. Let's, let's follow him. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we have more voices for him when other voices are trying to pull us away from him. And we began the Catholic school here in our facility. It is a great sacrifice. And it has been from the beginning. And it will continue to be if you and I are looking to the future and if we're serious about the project. The project is keeping people close to the Lord offering the invitation, realizing at any moment they can walk away, that's fine. We can't control what people do. We can only control our call. And our call is, as disciples, to imitate Jesus, to extend the invitation. There is good news. God has come to set us free from our sins. Not this world's pleasures, not to make us wealthy or well-known, not for us to leave a mark somewhere in this planet. It will all pass away. God wants us in heaven. And Jesus is instructing us today. He's using one tool, education, preaching. It's a tool. There are those sitting on the mountain at this point in Matthew's gospel who have tuned him out because he touched a nerve. He pushed a button. He said something they didn't like. Let's think about the pot roast. Let's think about the game later on today. Tuned them right out. But there are those who listened. And because they listened and they followed, you and I are here today. Because of these people who heard this message, Kilgore had a vision. And all of those who surrounded him and all those who up to these last several years have continued to fight the good fight to sharpen the tool to make that tool the best we can, as imperfectly as it is, in an imperfect world with imperfect people. So let's think about what Jesus is telling us today, because it is 
a repeat of something that happened in the past, like everything. When a rabbi goes up a mountain, you know something's going to happen because that's where God is. He's up there. Of course, this is all figure, figurative language, but Moses goes up, and what does he do? He comes down with the way we live as children of God. We know how we live as children of Adam and Eve, selfish, self-seeking, self-absorbed, looking out for ourselves, stomping on other people if they get in our way or block our goals. That's not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way of the kingdom. But Jesus, again, does not offer us this time commandments. There's no force in fear. He's offering and he's extending to us a change of heart, a different perspective. Because the kingdom of God is not like this world. There is no predator or prey in the kingdom of God. There's a bunch of people who realize, because we're poor in spirit, that we cannot do it. I would assume that's why we're here this morning, that you woke up this morning and realized, I can't do it. I need help. I can't fight sin in my own personal life, and I can't escape the sin that Adam and Eve have foisted upon me. I need help. Poor in spirit. That's the beginning of it all. And if you and I get that one right, all the rest happen automatically. It is a recognition of the reality of the situation, that we are in a mess, that I am a mess. And left to my own devices, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And that's why I'm poor in spirit. I realize my poverty, my true poverty. Oh, I've got lots of stuff. Look at this place. It's wonderful, but it's passing away. And it's not quenching the real thirst, the thirst for union and communion that only Christ offers us. So by recognizing that I'm poor in spirit, now I'm open. So when the invitation comes, I might just leave my family and follow him. Blessed are those who mourn. Funny, isn't it? God take pleasure in our mourning? Is God happy when we're sad? Is God out to get us? Or is there something else at work here? Blessed are they who mourn. Once we realize that we are poor in spirit, Contrition comes, should come, that would be the natural response, that when I fail, I weep over my failure. I don't just brush it off or say, well, let's change the rules. No, I match my life up with the rules that that God has established. I see how I've fallen short, and I weep. This is not who I want to be. It's the very first thing that is mandatory if you're going to receive absolution and confession. If there's no sense of contrition, if there's no mourning over your sins, then what are we really doing here? So, blessed are those who mourn. God is not taking pleasure in our sorrow. God is happy, though, when we see reality and that we strive to change our reality to meet his reality. There's something very beautiful when we see a child who realizes that they've done wrong And a little tear comes to their eye. We're not happy that they're sad, but we're happy that they get it, aren't we? We're not beating them over the head. We just look at them and say, really, what would you do if that was done to you? 
And then you see the light bulb go on. I wouldn't want it to happen. Blessed are the meek. Without humility, this whole thing is a joke. If we think that we're all that in a slice of bread or a bag of potato chips or whatever the saying goes, friends, we have to be small enough to see the reality. And with meekness comes introspection, examination of conscience, looking at my life brutally honest. Am I really where I should be? Am I where I want to be? Am I where God wants me to be? I've chosen less. I've settled for less. And God is constantly saying, come higher, friend. I know you. I know your potential. I don't want you uncomfortable. That's not the goal. But the goal is to give you life in abundance. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there it is. Righteousness. What is the seeking after righteousness? Again, I know I can be better. I know my parish can be better. I know my school can be better. We are reaching for the stars. We're reaching for heaven. And if we get purgatory, we'll be happy. Some people will stretch for purgatory and they end up in hell. Shoot for the A. If you get a B, great. Shoot for a D. You fail? Where are you going with that? The meekness and the desire for righteousness. Friends, look into our own hearts and minds this week. Are we the people God wants us to be? Are we all that we should be? Is our community what we want it to be? Think back of our grandparents' day. Never locked a door. They just came and went. No one would break in. That desire for righteousness, that our community could be a, a peaceful environment where we look out for each other and care for each other. That is what a parish school is all about, after all. Us doing the work in the hopes of an open heart so that when Jesus taps them and says, will you follow me? They'll drop everything and say yes. They'll be his disciple. Think of the days of old when our children could walk to school and we, we as parents would have no fear. Where are your kids? I don't know. My mom never knew where I was. I mean, never. Come home at one in the morning, she wouldn't know. My, parent, my neighbors knew because they were the ones taking care of me. And vice versa. That's how it works. That's righteousness, a desire for peace, harmony, and good common will for everyone. Who doesn't desire that? Some people don't. And it's sad, which is why we need to pray. Blessed are the pure of heart. They'll see God. What are your intentions? What are the intentions of our parents in the school? If it's simply to be better than the public school system, no, no, that is not pure of heart. We want to see God. We want our children to see God. I want to get to heaven and see my family, which means I will do anything I can here on earth to make sure that happens, even if it means on my knees praying, even if it means fasting. I will do it because I believe in divine revelation that there will come a day when I will close my eyes and I will face my judge and he will say, Nevins, I gave you thus and so. What did you do with it? I would love to be able to say to him, all of IHM is here. 
But I realize you have free will. I have free will. I might not get there. You might not get there. That's why we're here today. Can't, can't decide for tomorrow. Don't want to. Might not be there. But for now, for this morning, we're here. And we're beseeching the mercy of God and His grace that when that day comes, whenever it comes, we will be ready. Until then, we continue to do the work that God has asked us to do. Set the table, light a candle, dim the lights, and hope that our children have a loving encounter with a merciful God and that they fall in love with Him and will live with Him throughout this life and into the next.